35 years ago, a man by the name of John Huffman Jr. wrote an article about the changes that were happening uh, that were having devastating effects, not only on his own life, but on our world. He said, I'm convinced that we are living in the midst of exponential change that has totally destroyed the equilibrium of our lives. Daily, I'm battered by an array of stimuli. Every impulse demands a part of me and my time. There are so many competing ideologies and friendships claiming my allegiance. At times, I feel myself immobilized by the diversity, the complexity, and the changing dynamics of contemporary existence. I find it difficult to know what to do, how to think, and with whom to be. And he says the clutter of his life just kept on piling higher and higher and, and just so much disarray that it came to the point that he was essentially, he said, terrorized. Terrorized to immobility. And, a, and indecision had a hold on him that was hard to be rid of. And he points out that each generation feels like theirs is a generation where that is most true, where we're experiencing future shock the way nobody else ever has. But every generation has it in one degree or other. In the era we are living right now, the complexity of life is reflecting a spiritual restlessness, a time of indecision, a time of searching for answers to life's problems. And, and Huffman wrote, it's not that Americans have never heard of Jesus Christ. No nation is more exposed to constant religious bombardment by radio, television, newspapers, and magazines. The name Jesus Christ is heard daily, but our value systems are shifting and old answers are not easily accepted. The church as an institution no longer commands respect without earning it. And if that were true in 1986, it seems to me doubly true today. We're in a world that is mixed up, confused, and it's not just the people outside these walls. It's followers of Christ. And it's not new with our generation Folks, if you open up the Word of God and begin to truly study what it has to tell us, you will discover that time after time, God raised up prophets, raised up people who called the people of Israel, who called the church to hear God, to come back, to, to stop their indecision, to stop their frozenness, to become what God has called them to be. We are challenged by those scriptural calls to get rid of our idols. Whatever they may be, whatever becomes first in our life above and beyond God, we are being told over and again in the Word of God, it's time to get rid of them. Well, today, we're going to take a look at an incredibly powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, it is found in the 24th chapter of Joshua, and it is Joshua's call to decision. The call to decision given Israel at Shechem shortly before Joshua dies. Now, it is a lengthy passage of Scripture, so I, I beg your indulgence and listen with your heart and everything within you. 
what God is saying to his people. And understand, while Joshua's call specifically at his moment in time is for covenant Israel to come back to Yahweh, the God of the covenant, when we're looking at it from our perspective, we're going to see Joshua's call in our own lives, a call to follow Christ more fully, more deeply. So let's hear what this man of God had to say. And again, this is shortly before his death. He's looking, he's gathered all the people of Israel together at Shechem. And he says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served uh, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, Throw away the foreign gods that you are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Folks, in our text, This great man of God was used by God and gave a call to the people of Israel to decide, are you or are you not going to serve the Lord? You need to choose today, he said. Are you going to serve the Lord? 
And folks, that challenge is still looming before us. Children of the living God, people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, we have this same call for our hearts today. For I believe that there comes a time for God's people when we have lost sight, when we have lost direction, when we have wandered, there comes a time for us to choose whom we will serve. Now, I grew up in church singing the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And in your worship folder today, if you've not taken a look at it, please do. There's a little story about how the song came to be written. I sang it, and I sang it loud, and I sang it strong, and I never really once asked, but what does it mean? What does it mean to say that I'm going to follow Jesus? The cross behind, before me, the world behind me, I'm going to follow him. What does that really mean? Well, today, as we look at our passage of Scripture, we're going to find truths about what it means to decide to follow God with our whole hearts. So you ready? Here we go. These great truths of God. To decide to follow Jesus means it's time to take a public stand. It's time, and I'm going to use an old cliche, to stand up and be counted. Now, what does that mean, Danny? What, what, do I, do I wear Christian t-shirts? Do I put the one-way symbol on my lapel? Do I put bumper stickers on my car? What does it mean to take a public stand? Well, let's look at, at Joshua. Joshua knew the time had come for Israel to get real with her commitment to the Lord. It's at the end of his life. And this man of God knows I have one last chance to call this people to follow you, O God. I have one last opportunity to speak into their hearts and call them to follow you completely. So gathering the people up at Shechem, he he recounted the story. Before we get to our text, he talks about how God had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and had brought them to the land of Canaan. But along the way, he also revealed that idolatry was not just a problem for Israel's ancestors way back in Mesopotamia when Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. He let them know it was a problem for us in Egypt too. Did you notice he said, Choose, are you going to worship the gods over in Euphrates, on the other side of Euphrates, or the gods your ancestors worshipped in Egypt? Yes, folks, the Hebrew people in Egypt were idolaters. Before God calls them out. And he seems to know something else, doesn't he? Because twice in this text, he will tell them, get rid of the idols, the foreign gods, in your midst. Joshua seems to understand that there are people there who are still hanging on to their idols. So at at Shechem, he's saying, today, right now, I'm calling on you to decide. Right here, right now, make a decision. Will you follow the God 
who brought you out of Egypt? Will you follow the God who led you to this land? Or are you going to follow after other gods? You need to decide today. And then he makes it absolutely clear. But whatever you decide, I want it to be absolutely clear. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Without one statement, Joshua stands as a pillar of example of people of God who have decided along the way, often leaders, I will follow the Lord. No matter if I'm doing it all on my own, if it's just me and mine, we are going to follow God. And that apparently stirred up the people there at Shechem because they're going to respond, well, we want to follow him too. They were being called right then, right there, before God and each other make a choice about whom you will serve. And we need to understand something very important for us. Divided loyalties will keep us from necessary commitments. When we are double-minded, when we have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, or think we can, We cannot be what God wants us to be. I want you to notice how urgent Joshua's call is. Do you notice he didn't tell the children of Israel, now go back to your tents and pray about this. Go back to your tents and search your hearts and see, do you want to follow God or not? No, there's an urgency. They've had time enough to pray. They've heard the word of the Lord. They've known what God has done. And he says, right now, today, You need to make a choice. And there's that kind of urgency among us as a people of God today in America. The Word of God has been part of our lives. We have heard it. Uh, We have understood it, at least to varying degrees. And God is calling us today, make a choice. You see, as long as we live with a divided heart, following Jesus occasionally, but following the world the rest of the time, we cannot know what it means to be truly committed until we're ready to say, okay, I've got to choose. I've got to make my mind up. We keep playing these religious games that will lead us further and further away from what God wants us to be. We need to wake up. In Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, one of the best encounters with the Cheshire Cat is one of the, well, incredibly wise counsel. Alice comes to a fork in the road, and she looks up into the tree, and there's the Cheshire Cat staring at her, and she asks, which road do I take? And the cat responds, well, where do you want to go? I don't know. And then how's this for the wisdom of Solomon? I don't know which where. I don't know where I want to go. The cat says, then it doesn't matter. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what path you go to get there. You're going to be mixed up. And a lot of us in our land today, whether we want to admit it or not, are like Alice. The church in America is at a crossroads, I believe. 
we have become very frustrated and very much in pain over all that we've seen going on. But we're at a crossroads. Will we follow the Lord in true commitment? Or are we going to continue to play a partial game? And if we say, I can't choose. I need to think about it more. I need to, I need to pray on this one. Forks, when God's call is coming out to us, make a choice about whether you really want to serve me, we need to hear that call and we need to make that choice. Because if we don't, our walk with God will continue to be marked by confusion and lack of power. We need to make a decision. And so I believe we must come out of the shadows if we really want to know, really want to make an impact on this world. Now, please hear me with your heart. Most of you here have known me a long time now, and I hope that you know my heart, so let my heart speak to you right now, okay? Israel was called to openly follow God wholeheartedly. And we are at a place right now, God is calling his church to publicly make a stand for him. Now, there are a lot of things we can do sound like it's making a stand. There are a lot of things we can do that sounds like, oh, I'm, you know, like I said, I I, I have my share of Jesus t-shirts when I was in the youth department. Uh, everything I had, I, I wanted something to say that I was a, a, a child of God. I've told you before when my church licensed me to preach, just before I turned 16, they gave me a big Bible and I would carry it with me in the halls of Paris High School, tucked under my arm. And I've told you before, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. The crowds would just make a way for me. I don't know if they thought I was going to hit them with it or I was going to preach a sermon to them, but they tried to get away from me. And uh, about a year of doing that, I realized I was actually keeping people away from me. So I started carrying a little pocket testament. Back then, uh, we, we, had to, we had to be cute and all that. When, you know, the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit. Well, I call my little pocket testament, and I, I didn't come up with this. It was my derringer. It was easily hidden and could be pulled out when needed. I'm not asking you to be obnoxious. I'm not asking you to be an in-your-face kind of screaming zealot who pushes people away. I'm not asking you, let's, let's sign a petition. I'm not asking you to put bumper stickers on your car. I'm not, all, those things may not be bad, folks, but what we need today, you and I and Christians in America, we need to show America who Jesus really is. We need to be witnesses to him, showing his compassion, showing his capacity to forgive and to restore, showing his desire to reconcile the world unto himself. We need to be living for Christ. And all the other things in our agendas that we pile up that keep us busy can keep us from doing a major task.
telling that next door neighbor who plays their music way too loud at midnight. I love you. And if you ever need me, I'm here. Help me, help me see what's going on. Telling those people we work with by the way we live our lives. You are loved. You can be forgiven. You can know the Lord. We need to live for Him. In a way, we're not ashamed. You know, there was a time in this country, not that very long ago, people in my position were held in very high esteem. Did you know that? Preachers were way up there. We're not there anymore. In fact, we're among some of the least trusted now. Because there have been a lot of people who have said, thus saith the Lord, who have abused that privilege and who have not shown a clear call to who Jesus is. You and I, we need to stand for Christ and to show our love to a broken world. Instead of picking up the stones to cast we need to start telling people they can be forgiven, that they can be loved. We need to live for Christ publicly. Publicly. Make our choice. Today, Lord, give me what I need to live for you, to love for you, to show this world what can be theirs in you. Today, Lord, Let me take a stand. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to say, okay, Lord, now is the time for me to stand up for you. Now is the time for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ in this land, in this country. Then we're ready for the next truth. To decide to follow Jesus means this should not be taken lightly. If I really want to serve the Lord, then I need to understand This is serious. This cannot be a game. This cannot be a part-time thing with me. I need to be ready to take it seriously. Look again at Joshua. And if you didn't see this, then you weren't listening to the text or reading along with it. Did you notice? Joshua seemed to try to dissuade Israel from following the Lord. He has just told them, You need to put away the foreign idols and follow God. You need to choose whom you will serve. And then the people say, we're going to serve God. And then hits what has been called in this text, the deep paradox. One biblical scholar went so far to say, this may be the most shocking statement in all of the Old Testament. Choose whom you will serve. We're going to serve God. No, you're not. You can't, and you won't, because he's a holy God. He's a jealous God, and he knows your heart. He knows where you are. He knows that you're going to wander off. You won't. You can't serve him. And Boy, he does it passionately. But he doesn't just say, you won't do it. You can't do it. This is the most shocking statement of all. 
And God is not going to forgive you. Wow. If you keep doing what you're doing, judgment's coming. Someone once made the statement, God forgives, it's his job. No, it's not. Grace is why God forgives. It's not because he has to. And Israel needed to know that. This is shocking, folks. If you weren't shocked a little bit, now maybe you've read the passage before and you've gotten used to it, but if you're not shocked by this, you can't, you won't, God won't forgive you, then check your pulse, something's wrong. This is shocking. And that's the point. That's exactly why God led Joshua to speak in this manner. His dramatic words were meant to shock Israel. I'm not looking for a quick, yes, we'll do it, Joshua is telling them. You need to purge out of your heart and mind that you can somehow follow God and not take this seriously. God doesn't want your nominal, your superficial commitment to him. He wants all that you are to give yourself to him. And it's not hard to see why Joshua would have that idea, is it? Let's think about Israel's track record. The generation before them are standing on the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And Moses is delivering to them God's message. And they say in Exodus 19, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Sounds a whole lot like what they're saying right now, isn't it? We're going to follow God. All that we have spoken, we will do. And do you know what they were doing a few weeks later? Worshiping a golden calf. God is giving them the law, telling them you must serve me. So they build an idol. And I guess they think it's all right because when Aaron makes the golden calf, he says, this is a God who brought you out of Egypt. But do you remember God also said, not only can you not worship other gods, you can't make a graven image of me. They don't even have their feet wet. And they're already failing. And God calls them. His stern words, his harsh words were meant to say, don't for a moment think that you can do this on your own. Don't for a moment think you can make a pledge in your own power and in the excitement of this moment and let it be true. They needed to look honestly at their hearts before they made a pledge. Even the book of Ecclesiastes, folks, you can't find a more depressing book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is written, there's a thing that keeps showing up that says life lived under the sun. And Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, was making a point. A life without God at its center is empty. But even Solomon said, don't make a rash vow to God. Don't pledge something you don't intend to follow. And so here we are, centuries later, and Joshua's words are hitting us right between the eyes. If we're listening, folks, the Spirit of God is calling us, and what we are being told today is we must count the cost of living as disciples of Christ. We've got to understand 
what this means to say, I will follow Christ. Jesus. If you think Joshua could be shocking, Jesus could be as well. And on several occasions, Jesus really seems to be trying to talk people out of following him. By the way, you may or may not know this, but Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And they both mean God is salvation. So two of the most shocking men in Scripture share a name. Listen, in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, listen to what Jesus said. Beginning in verse 57, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He, Jesus, said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Don't give me your excuses, is what he's telling them. And if that's not tough enough, the 14th chapter of the book of Luke, beginning in verse 25, this is a time frame when there are a lot of people following Jesus. He's a really popular preacher right now. And we read in verse 25, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even his their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In comparison... Your love for me has got to be so overpowering in your life, everything else would look like hatred. And if you are going to follow me, you need to carry your cross. And folks, the cross we are called to carry is not our lumbago, and it's not my cloudy eye right now. When Jesus said, carry your cross to a first century person in Palestine, it meant one thing. you got to be ready to die for me. And I've asked you before, how do we know if we're ready to die for Jesus? that we'll really die for him, will ask yourself this question, am I living for him now? And you get the point. Our Lord was very honest. He wanted people to understand following him was not a task for the faint of heart. In fact, it was impossible in their own power. The only ones who can truly follow God are those who have embraced his grace. And we need to know that our God is waiting on a people who will freely pledge their hearts to heaven. We will really be willing to say, here I am, Lord, take me, everything that I am, all that I want, all that I desire, let it be yielded into your life, into your will. Imagine the body of Christ today if we were to rise up across this nation and in the West in general, if we were to rise up saying, we're going to follow you, Lord, no matter what, and we start living for Christ, 
in our encounters with our neighbors, in our encounters with our family members, in our encounters with the enemy, whoever that enemy might be. If we live for Christ and show the love of Jesus, imagine what it could do. And that's the testimony of all of the people in this world who were privileged to see an awakening before God. They were burdened with their sin. They confessed it before the Lord. And they were crying out, God, do something in us. Make us different. Change our lives. And God moved. Let that be our testimony as well. God, let me follow you all the way. Keith Green, you've heard that name before. One of the people who impacted me so drastically with his music. Once saying, I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel, and I ask no man on earth to fill my needs. Like the sparrow up above, I'm enveloped in his love, and I trust him like those little ones he feeds. Well, I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel, though our love each passing day just seems to grow. As I told her when we wed, I'd surely rather be found dead than to love her more than the one who saved my soul. Well, I pledge my son to heaven for the gospel. Though he's kicked and beaten, ridiculed and scorned, I will teach him to rejoice and lift a thankful, praising voice and to be like him who bore the nails and crowns of thorns. I'm your child, and I want to be in your family forever. I'm your child, and I'm going to follow you. No matter whatever the cost, I'm going to count all things lost. No matter whatever the cost, I'm going to count all things lost. I've had the choice to gain the world and to live just like a king, but without your love, it doesn't mean a thing. I pledge my son. I pledge my wife. I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel. We need to take God's call seriously. We need to hear. We need to understand. We need to weigh our hearts and look, God, I I am at that crossroads, and I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your courage to go ahead and make the choice to follow the path you would have me to follow. Change me, Lord. Help me give my heart to you. And when we do that, when we have acknowledged we've got to publicly live for Christ, that that call to live for him is to be taken very seriously. We're ready for our final truth. To decide to follow Jesus means really following through with this choice. If I'm really going to follow him, I need to be willing to say, okay, God, you help me to live this. I need to follow through. When we look at Joshua and on that, in that field at Shechem, when he's challenging the people, one more time, let's look at what Joshua had to say. Joshua called his people to make a clean break with their past. A clean break with their past. And the text makes it absolutely certain that false worship had been a hallmark of much of Israel's life. 
in our ancient ancestors and in our own lives. Some of them with their own little idols stuck away somewhere in their tent. You see, what Joshua was saying to them twice, throw out the idols, he's letting them know, Israel never truly rid herself of false worship. Even in the face of commandments one and two, they were still holding on. And it's not going to be for centuries after this. When, it, when Judah finally goes into captivity with Babylon for 70 years, and Judah finally comes home, it's taken that many hundreds of years for the people of God to finally say, no more idols. He's using the strongest terms possible. You need to do this right now. Throw away all of the idols you're carrying with you. There can be nothing tolerated in your midst that would cause you to have a heart for God and a heart for some other false God. But it's not just about throwing away the idols. It's also about changing your heart. One of the last churches I served in Texas, right after we were called, I'm, I'm busily putting my aerial, my TV antenna up on the roof, and a deacon who lived across the street came over to help me. And all the time he's helping me, he's laughing. And I don't know what. Now, I'm a very funny guy. I admit, you know, I like to laugh. But I didn't know what he was laughing about. I didn't know if he was making a comment on my job of putting up an antenna. I didn't know what was going on. I finally said, well, what's going on, Brother Roy? And he said, I guess you didn't hear. I said, no. He said, about 15 years ago, a preacher was here. The church had a bunch of property back in the back and had this huge fire pit dug out. He said, preacher led a whole bunch of the church families to go burn their television sets. And I'm putting up an antenna. You know, he's the only one who ever brought it up. Nobody else said, well, we're not supposed to have TVs in our house because I can pretty well, were I a gambling man, i got to remember I'm on the south coast of Mississippi, were I a gambling man, I would say I'm betting that the vast majority of those families who burned a TV have one in their house now. And folks, I don't know that the TV was ever a God in their life or not. There are a lot of things we allow to take God's place. And it's not enough about burning or getting rid of something if we're still holding on to it with our hearts. That's what Joshua's telling them. To move forward with the Lord, they had to let go of their past. And so to make sure when they said, oh, we're going to follow him, we're going to do it, Joshua said, okay, we're going to have a record And we're told that he wrote this down in the book of the law of God. And we don't know what that book was. We know it's not the Pentateuch. This doesn't show up in the first five books of Moses. And it's very possible that it was a book that uh, Joshua had been keeping uh, while he was a leadership in leadership. And they take a stone and they set it up as a stone of remembrance that would for always, that book and that stone would always remind Israel every time they thought of it, we gave our hearts to God at Shechem. There are nine memorials 
mentioned in the book of Joshua. And this is the last. And he specifically said, this is the guarantee. This is a witness against you. If you fall away from your promise, this stone will always be a marker that today you said we want to follow God. And we need to realize in our lives, holding on to the old self will distract us from living for our new master. The thing is, without a firm Christ to actually living for Jesus, without really a heart that says, I want to follow you, Lord, with everything in me, I want to give all of my life to you, everything, my desires, my plans, my dreams, my wishes, I want them all to be yours. We will become dangerously close to just being careless spiritually. Michael Giglieri wrote a book, Over the Edge, Death of the Grand Canyon. And he chronicles, since the 1870s, there have been a, a little over seven or nearly 700 deaths at the Grand Canyon. That's not particularly all that surprising when you realize Grand Canyon is 277 miles long 18 miles wide, and can be over a mile deep, 6,000 feet. And the temperatures itself can go way over 100 degrees, so it's very easy if someone were to become lost in that area to fall to heat, stroke, and dehydration. So how did those 700 deaths occur nearly? Well, the largest amount of the deaths have been attributed to air crashes, planes going down. We know when a plane goes down, there's usually more than one person involved. Floods have also claimed the lives of people who tried to raft the river of the Grand Canyon. Others, in a moment of depression, threw themselves over the edge. But according to Giglieri, a number of people have gone over the edge and fallen to their death because of their own carelessness. They ignored posted warnings and confidently walked out into dangerous precipices. He gives an example. In 1992, there was a 38-year-old father who was trying to frighten his teenage daughter. And he jumped up on a guard wall. He starts flailing his arms like he's about to fall, trying to scare her. And then he comically fell on the canyon side onto a ledge he thought would hold him, and it did not. Trying to tease his daughter, he dropped 400 feet to his death. Then in 2012, and this is becoming more and more a phenomenon, not just at the Grand Canyon, an 18-year-old woman who was hiking in the North Rim Trail decided to venture off the beaten path She wanted to get a really good selfie. She stopped at Inspiration Point. And as she got down onto the ledge, it was a 1,500-foot deep canyon. Getting ready to take her picture, the rocks gave way, and she plummeted to her death. And these deaths were not just tragic. 
they were completely unavoidable. It's been said, can you imagine, Can do you really want the last words of your life to be, look how close I can get to the rim. Folks, we spend way too much time thinking, how close can I get to the rim when it comes to following Jesus? How close can I get? How much can I get away with? And I'm convinced that's the reason behind legalism, why churches and people write up all so many things they won't do. I remember when I was in teenage, a teenager, there was a poem going around my hometown, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. Let me get my list so I can do everything I want that's not on the list. Folks, we've got to quit playing games. When we avoid what God is calling, follow me, serve me, we will stumble and we will fall. And our call to live for the Lord points us to a life that should honor, celebrate, and testify to the one who can give us ultimate meaning. Not how much can I get away with, God, but grab hold of my heart that I will serve you more fervently and more openly and more honestly. We've got to quit straddling the fence. And we must be prepared to push ahead whatever the cost, whatever life might bring. A.W. Tozer said, we can prove our faith by our commitment to it and in no other way. Any belief that does not command the one who holds it is not a real belief. It is only a pseudo-belief. It might shock some of us profoundly if we were suddenly brought face-to-face with our beliefs and forced to test them in the fires of practical living. What glory will it be when we open our hearts to God and say, help me? Now, there's not a person in this room who can make this decision today and it's going to last the rest of your life. I pretty much think we have to make this decision every day of our lives. God, let this day bring glory and honor to you. Let this name, the name of Christ, be lifted up in my life. And there will be times we will have to go before our Father and say, forgive me. Because, Father, I let my wants get in the way of your will. But as we seek his forgiveness, as we confess, as we're open, and we are are saying, Lord, help me to follow you. Then something amazing can happen. Chuck Swindoll talks about a youth pastor who's going to be from Chicago, who is going to be taking his kids to Florida an evangelistic effort. And he knew teenagers well enough, and folks, if you're a teenager, don't be mad at me because I was a teenager too. And there are times I still struggle with this. He knew how quickly teenagers could lose their focus. So he came up with an idea. He got two pieces of lumber and constructed a cross. And on the day they were at the bus lining up, he brings the cross out and he says, This cross is going to remind us of what we're supposed to be doing here. This is the emphasis, the message of the cross, the Christ of the cross. This is what we're about to do. So, to help us remember that, 
we're going to take this cross with us wherever we go. And teenagers looked at each other. And because he was the guy in charge and said, this is going to happen, they said, okay. So they loaded up on the bus, and all the way from Chicago to Florida, it's banging in the aisle between seats. And their first impulse, we're going to be embarrassed by this. When they got to Florida, he kept his word. If they went to a restaurant, the cross went with them. If they went to the beach, the cross went with them. Everywhere they were going, the cross was going with them. And suddenly these teenagers, the most of us who who have forgotten those years, tend to think, oh, they're just a bunch of flighty kids. They got it. They began to understand it. And they began to be challenged by it. And it became for them this incredible statement and badge of truth, a point of identification. That cross was the constant reminder of who they were and why they came. And they got the place where we were glad to, they were glad to drive that cross wherever they went. And the night before they went home, the youth pastor handed out two nails to each of the kids. He told them, if you want to commit yourself to what the cross stood for, I want you to hammer one of these nails into the cross. And then I want you to keep that other nail with you to remind you about this day. Fifteen years later, one of those teenagers who's now a stockbroker called the, the youth leader, found him and called him and said, you know what, I still have my nail. It's in the desk at work. And any time I begin to forget what my focus in life should be, I take out that nail and I remember. I remember. We are being called today to fully and honestly follow the Lord to make a decision today. This is a reality when we understand our God is calling us to make a public stand for Christ. I want to follow him. I want to live for him. I want his life to shine out of me. comes a reality when we understand, and I can't make that decision lightly. God, I need your help. I need your strength that this will be truth. And I need your help that I will follow through with this choice. So today, are you ready to make the choice? Are you willing to hear the call of Joshua? As it comes cascading down the centuries, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. You know what that word faithfulness in this text means? Integrity. That's what the word could be translated. Follow him and serve him with all integrity. Be what you are. The child of God he saved you to be.